Welcome to Misfits Theology Podcast, where together we're learning to question our faith in order to cultivate a deeper trust in God. Enjoy. Hey, welcome back to the Misfits Theology Club. I'm your host, Gabriel Gordon, and today with Adam Datchill, again, he's going to be co-hosting. Over the last couple of episodes, we've been trying to focus more on Christian disciplines. Um, That's something that we've lacked here on the podcast, and that is definitely not my wheelhouse. And so I brought Adam Datchill to co-host with me uh, and to ask the important questions and the ask questions that I just don't know how to ask. So I'm going to pass it off to him and he's going to introduce himself and our guests for today. Thanks, Gabe. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to introduce myself real quick because you may have heard me on the last episode and wondered who the heck this guy is. But yeah, my name's Adam and uh, I've written a few blog posts here for Misfits and joined Gabriel here on the last the last podcast in talking more about contemplative spirituality because that's that's my point of study. I've been in seminary for three years now uh, studying spiritual formation and spiritual direction. But so today uh, we're going to have Rich Lewis here on the podcast. Um, it's kind of a bit of a continuation in theme from our last episode on contemplative spirituality as the world continues to grapple with complications and grief of collective trauma think it's important to check in with ourselves and our embodied spiritual lives and today it's our pleasure to have this conversation with Rich about centering prayer, uh, living this kind of contemplative life in the real world, and his new book, Sitting with God, A Journey to Your True Self Through Centering Prayer. So Rich Lewis is an author, a speaker, and a coach focusing on centering prayer as a means of inner transformation. He teaches centering prayer in both his local and virtual communities and offers one-on-one coaching as well. Rich has published articles for a number of organizations, uh, including Contemplative Light, Abbey of the Arts, and Contemplative Outreach. And he also publishes a a weekly meditation, book reviews, and interviews on his website, Silence Teaches. So welcome, Rich. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it course. Um, before we get started, we do have one very important question to ask you, and then we'll get to know you a little bit better uh, and what led you to the work you do in the book that you wrote. So if you were sent to a desert island and were allowed to bring only one kind of fruit, one book, and one season of a TV show, what would they be? Well, the fruit, I, I like watermelon, so it would definitely have to be watermelon. One book. I enjoy, um, I don't know if you remember the it was a movie, but Robert Ludlum wrote The Born Identity, which was a movie by um, Matt Damon starred in it. And I love spy thrillers, so I would probably reread that book because it's just a lot of fun. And um, even though it goes back a number of years, I always loved the show. I, I would watch MASH. I don't, I don't know what season I would watch, maybe the last season, but I always enjoyed MASH and thought it was hysterical. So I would want one season of MASH. MASH is such a great show. <laughs> Agree, agree. <laughs> I just have the, the theme song is now in my head, and I'm imagining if I were on a desert island, all I would do would be walking around just humming the theme song to myself. <laughs> so I guess I could uh, eat my watermelon and watch MASH. <laughs> oh, that's that's good. Awesome. Well, thanks, Rich. And uh, so what, what did, so I guess I'll back this up. So who is Rich Lewis? 
<laughs> well, that's why I do centering prayer. Now, I, I actually, and actually, and that's some, that is true too. I mean, I think if you think of um, silence, my website, silence teaches, or the bigger name is silence teaches us who we are. So uh, I guess I'm continuously discovering myself. Um, but um, Rich Lewis, at the present time, you know, has a website called Silence Teaches, and it's devoted to centering prayer primarily. And then, of course, I like to read, so book reviews will pop on there. And then I don't, I like to interview interesting people, and a lot of them tend to be contemplative, but not necessarily. And the interviews are, you know, written interviews, so I'll send them five to seven questions, and they'll send me the answers back, and then I just like to share it with my community in case you know, they're interesting to, in, in case what they do interests the, the people that follow me. And um, so that's who I am. I'm devoted to centering prayer. And I have a site. And then I have a new book that came out um, last August, which really talks, we call it Sitting with God, A Journey to Your True Self through, through Centering Prayer. And that book really talks you know, about how to do centering prayer, a little bit of, of the theology behind it, and then maybe even more importantly, I, I really wrote it for the everyday person um, that it's been very life-giving and life-transforming to me that I simply want to share it with others in case it can help them. So that's a little bit about me. Very cool. Um, so one thing I wanted to mention is we're going to kind of break this, this uh, interview up into kind of three sections. So we're going to talk about centering prayer, um, its history, and kind of its theological underpinnings since... Uh, most of our listeners here are, you know, theological nerds, and they like that kind of stuff. So we'll figure we'll talk a little bit about the background of Centering Prayer, then how and why a person uh, should practice it, and then more, we'll get into a little bit more discussion about your book, Sitting with God. So what uh, what is Centering Prayer, Rich? Sure. Centering Prayer really is a form of um, silent prayer, and some people will say, you know, well, is it just meditation? And it is meditation, but I think of it as it's, it's, it's a practice, but it's also a relationship with God. So centering prayer, the idea behind centering prayer is that you're opening to the presence and actions of God within. So it doesn't mean you are God. It just simply means, you know, there's a piece of God. The image of God is within you and you're opening to this during centering prayer and this, the steps of centering prayer, you know, even though centering prayer is easy, it's not easy because some people find sitting in silence extremely hard, extremely difficult, or, or it seems like an eternity at, at, at times if you just want to get up and do something else. So some people can have that experience. Or sitting in silence can be scary because suddenly they're forced to think of, have thoughts come up that they don't want to think about. So if they start moving, they're no longer thinking about these thoughts. But centering prayer, the practice itself is you sit and then with the use of a sacred word, which could usually is one, two, three syllables, it could be ocean, peace, love, Jesus, what, whatever word you want to use, but you're not using it as a mantra, you're simply using it to, to start the prayer, to open to the presence and actions of God within. And then whenever you have a thought and begin engaging it and seeing where it takes you. So if you begin planning your day or begin reminiscing about the past, that's when you introduce this word interiorly to bring you back to the present so that you can open to God again and then let go of the word. And you do that through the entire period. So if you choose five minutes or 10 minutes or 20 minutes, 
you're repeating that. So whenever you need to, you use your sacred word to bring yourself back and then you let go of it. You're not, it's not a mantra. Then there, and there is a form of practice called Christian meditation that uses a mantra, but centering prayer doesn't use it as a mantra. It's used just to bring yourself back. And then you even let go of the word. And then the other thing I'll say is you don't have to use a word. I actually use an image. I use an interior image of a Jesus icon that I stumbled across on a Richard Rohr meditation. So you can use an image if you find that you're a, more of a visual person, which I am. You can use a word if you're more of an auditory person. You can use your breath to bring yourself back if you find yourself more of a physical person. Or if you think you're going to fall asleep during centering prayer, Some because I'm doing this with my eyes closed, some people open their eyes and you can stare at a spot, this kind of the same spot during the duration of the prayer. So you can use, those are four different methods called a sacred word. Um, to bring yourself back to the present. But that's at a high level, that's what you do during centering. That's how you do centering prayer. And then it's really a practice and a relationship with God at the same time. Yeah, it, that's, that has been, it's been my experience with it. I, I don't know if I mentioned this on the last podcast, but I've been, I've been, I was introduced to centering prayer in seminary. Um, okay. My professor just, uh, actually start began a class with well one we had assignments for centering prayer like the we actually had to practice centering prayer like at least three times per week 20 minute sits um, and then journal about it um, but my first experience was was in a class and it was 10 minutes and we had no warning that this was going to happen and um, I just remember being like oh this is strange, but it's, it's good. And then getting actually into the practice, it's like you said, it's, it's easy, but not easy. <laughs> it's easy right. to do, not easy to go through. So I appreciate that like high level, um, high level overview. We'll dig in, you know, a little bit deeper here in a minute. But um, one thing I wanted to talk about is the, the history of centering prayer, uh, the, the theological background to it. Um, because one question that I've gotten a lot in my experience and when I tell people about centering prayer is essentially, one, how is this any different than just appropriation of mindfulness? And my personal opinion is, even if it is, what's the big deal? But like one, how, how is it differentiated from kind of a, like an Eastern meditation? And you know, what's the, the historical and, and theological underpinnings. So can you talk about that a little bit? Sure, sure. Well, Centering Prayer, I guess, was created or, or say invented in the early 1970s, really by three Trappist monks. Actually, Father William Manager stumbled across the method in a book, an old classic book called The Cloud of Unknowing. And then it got further refined, but really by the three Trappist monks, Thomas Keating, Basil Pennington, and, and William Manager, kind of refined the process in the early 70s. And, and they created it, I guess, as a result of, I think, transcendental meditation was rather big at the time. And they were looking for something that Christians could do as, as a practice. So this practice was created in the early 70s initially I think taught to priests and then they began teaching it really to the, to the public itself. And um, 
I guess the difference between it's it's a practice, but it's also where you're you're opening to the presence and actions of God within. So they don't think of it as just meditation, and I don't either. I think of it as it's a practice and it's a tool, but I'm really I'm even letting go of the tool during the practice and opening to God, who I believe is within me. And I think of centering prayer as a reverse prayer. God is praying in me during this time. And it can become a paradox because they'll, they'll talk about, well, the Trinity is acting within you. And I don't, I'll be honest, sec, I don't know exactly what that means and how that operates. And I'll just trust that that's happening. But during centering prayer, you're opening to the presence and actions of God within and you're letting go of you and you're letting go of any barrier to God, which is, which is your thoughts because your thoughts aren't God. And we tell ourselves things that just aren't true. Anyhow, most of the time you can't stop thinking and you're telling yourself things that are not true or that aren't going to happen. So that's what you're doing. So the, so the practice itself was created in the early seventies by these Trappist monks. And it was kind of a reaction to transcendental meditation. And there, there has to be a practice that we can do from a Christian standpoint and then start teaching it to the greater public. And then it started flourishing. I know in, in 1984, Thomas Keating created Contemplative Outreach. And it's a huge, you can go to their website, Contemplative Outreach, I think .org, I think is what it is. And it's a huge international organization and they have international and US-based chapters so you can find a chapter and they practice centering prayer together right now they're probably doing it via zoom but pre-covid and hopefully when covid is done they can go back to getting together but it's become a huge organization that's international uh, all over the place not just in the u.s so that's a little bit of, of the history of it and how long it's been around and how it's not just meditation it's really a, a practice and a relationship with god yeah thanks where you're developing you're developing it you're developing and you're and going deeper and deeper in your relationship with god right yeah thanks thanks for that background and i don't know how much some of the the, the folks listening will be familiar with the kind of like the apophatic prayer stream of the the, the connection to God through unknowing. Um, you mentioned the cloud of the unknowing. Um, that's the cloud of unknowing is one of my favorite books. And so even though centering prayer as centering prayer definitely began in the seventies, the historical and theological background, um, you, know, you, you can take it all the way back to Gregory of Nyssa. I, connect it back to depending on how you want to read the new testament and the old testament i mean you go back to jesus saying go into your closet and pray i've heard i think cynthia bourgeau used that that kind of that part of scripture in one of her books on centering prayer to to talk about it from you know the the vision of or the the view of jesus but yeah the cloud of unknowing is is such a good book um, and you have gregory of nyssa um, with, you know, only kind of seeing, seeing God's backside uh, in the, the life of Moses. But yeah, so I, I just wanted to kind of throw those pieces in just to, just to show our listeners that while it was kind of a, while in the 70s, it was this response to, to, to kind of lure people in 
to a Christian practice on solid foundation um, when transcendental meditation was was on the rise. It also has a an entire thread and stream that goes through the history of the church that a lot of people are unfamiliar with. No, I mean it definitely. If you think about Jesus, uh, yeah, it does. It goes all the way back to Jesus because we can surmise that Jesus wasn't always talking when he prayed. He often went off alone, and we would like to think he was quiet and just sat with God, or he fasted. If he fasted for you know, 30, 40 days in the desert, you, you can't, you're not going to have a lot of motion and you're not going to babble and talk. So he probably practiced some type of silent prayer. We don't know exactly what it looked like, but he, he probably practiced some, some type of silent practice. So I would say, yes, you know, silent prayer goes all the way back to Jesus. Yeah. And I mean, I, in my, I don't know if you've had this experience. I mean, we'll, we'll talk about your experience of centering your prayer here in a little bit, but I know sometimes my experience of centering prayer, I, I, I feel like my, my uh, image that I hold when I picture uh, the temptation of Christ in the desert for those 40 days, my image of that has shifted significantly since beginning centering prayer. Um, it's shifted from this idea that there's a, a you know, a, a, a devil walking around, you know, showing Jesus all of these things on a whiteboard to the, to Jesus facing <laughs> these very real temptations in, in, in a way that is more in relation to fasting and silent prayer. That's that's just me riffing on that little thing. Thinking back to the New Testament is I centering prayer has changed my my understanding of Jesus in the desert. While while you guys were talking, one of the passages that came to mind was uh, I think it's in First Kings where Elijah goes up to Mount Horeb or Mount Sinai, and God Yahweh says He's going to speak with him, and a, a big fire i'm getting the story mixed up but a big fire rushes by and it says god was not in the fire earthquake rushes by or happens and god was not in the earthquake and then finally um, <clears throat> silence and silence happens and and, and the text says that uh, it was in the silence that god spoke so that's kind of what what's coming to mind i think oftentimes we think that silence is is not an appropriate means of communication. But I think one of the things that um, I'm sure you've experienced, Rich and, and, and Adam, and I think I've experienced is that silence is often actually one of the most powerful ways to hear God speak. Um, so is, I don't know if you want to riff on that, Adam or, or Rich. One could say silence teaches, right, Rich? <laughs> right, I mean, silent, it, it... <laughs> you get yourself out of the way. I mean, that's what centering prayer or any silent practice does where you let go and you, you get yourself out of the way. Um, it teaches you who you are. It certainly has taught me who I am. <laughs> Quite frankly, I think my world before centering prayer and after centering prayer are, are much different. It is, it's shown me the way forward and, and show me what future steps um, God wants me to take. But if you don't take the time for silence you don't know, you might, you don't know what your future possibly looks like because you're, you're doing what you think you should do instead of letting go of all these thoughts and opening up to what you should do. So you know, I strongly believe silence teaches you who you are 
teaches, shows you the way forward. And everybody really needs to take a silent pause um, and slow down so that they can you know, better discern the, the way forward. Yeah, totally. Well, I think we're going to kind of shift over to the specifics, uh, more or less the kind of the, the nuts and bolts of centering prayer. And so, oh, hi, Jesse. I just saw the tail pop up behind me. Um, <laughs> I didn't even know the dog was in here. Um, so if you want to kind of walk us through, uh, Rich, so how does one begin a centering prayer practice? Sure. Well, the first thing is um, take baby steps because it may not be easy for you. So some people may find silence and sitting in silence extremely difficult. And actually, when I look back and think about it, it, it was. And I started with one minute at a time and, and slowly bumped it up because it was hard. So the first thing I would say is, you know, take baby steps. You don't need to jump right into a five minute, a 10 minute, a 20 minute sit if that's something you can't do. So first, you know, start with a one minute sit and slowly work your way up. Um, do you want me to repeat the steps or, or I'd said them earlier, should I say them again here? Sure, yeah, if you want, if you want to repeat them and then uh, even, because your, your book went into you know, quite a bit of detail, um, but it, just so if, if one of our listeners is, or if any of our listeners are interested in, in practicing Centering Prayer after this, kind of repeat the steps um, maybe in, in less of like the high level overview and, and really get, get into it. Like as if you were not necessarily sure. as if you were teaching it, but a little bit more detail, I guess. Okay. So you, um, you know, find a place where there's no distractions and you, you'll, you'll learn that for yourself. So that could be in a separate room in the house. It could be in the basement. If it has to be in your car, it could be in your car. I've actually practiced centering prayer in my car um, during the workday, um, pre-COVID. Um, so find a place that's distraction-free or as distraction-free as possible. Um, sit, you know, sit comfortably, not, not where you want to go to sleep, but sit comfortably where you'll be alert. And then choose a sacred word, one, two, three syllables, uh, that could love, peace, ocean, something that you'll, you'll use. So you'll sit, close your eyes, introduce that word to begin your practice, and then remain kind of in a posture of, of alertness and openness. And whenever you begin engaging, really the key word is engaging, when you engage your thoughts or engage your emotions, reintroduce that word interiorly to bring yourself back to the present and then let go of it. And then just use this word when needed. Sometimes you find you don't need it and that's okay too. Other times you find you seem to be using it frequently and that's okay too, because it simply means you're just continuously opening to the presence and actions of God within. You'll, you'll wanna have some type of timer, maybe to, so if you're, if you're choosing five minutes, for example, you have some type of timer where it has an opening bell and a closing bell, and it's not something that's super loud that jars you at the end of your sit. So sit, introduce the sacred word interiorly, use it when needed as you engage your thoughts. And then when the bell or whatever method you're using to time yourself ends, sit for another minute or two and then get up and resume your day. So that's essentially the practice. 
And then what I encourage people to do is I, I maybe create, I call them centering prayer bookends. You know, there might be something you want to do before the practice and something you want to do after the practice. And that can vary over time. So for me, what my, my bookends look like this, I, I have typed in my iPad, I have, I'll call them affirmations, things that are important to me in my life. And, and they're focused around work and family and personal things. And I'll read them interiorly and then let them go to God, do my centering prayer, sit. And then after my sit, I actually just spend five or 10 minutes reading from a book that I'm currently reading. And then I get up and resume my day. So that's, that's what my practice looks like. So I encourage people maybe put a little bit of a structure around it and there could be something you do before the sit, do your sit, and then something you do after the sit. And then you get back on with your, you begin, like I, I do a sit first thing in the morning. So that's how I begin my day. And then my second sit may look a little bit different. I, I might still read the affirmations and do my sit. And then sometimes I just sit for a minute and then resume my day. Sometimes I choose to do the second bookend and read a little bit and then resume my day. So that's, that's kind of the method and just finding a distraction-free place. And the other thing you can do is you can be flexible with the places. They can, they can be anywhere. You, you can do them in your car. You can do them in a different room in your house. You can do them outside. You can do them you know, in warmer weather at a, at a park. Um, people don't, people won't, don't, they won't know what you're doing. You can do them on a, on a, you can do them on a train. You can do them on an airplane. So think I do them at the chiropractor. So actually once a month I see a chiropractor and the first 10 minutes is sitting in one of the rooms and there's a roller under going underneath my back to loosen me up before I go into the next room to see the doctor. So I practice centering prayer in that room at the chiropractor. So those are just some thoughts on, you know, start slow, take a distraction-free room, consider adding bookends to your practice and realize you can really do this practice anywhere, you know, planes, trains, and automobiles like that, like the movie they say, and I've done them in, in all three places. Obviously when I'm not driving, when my wife's driving, I've done <laughs> them when we're, dri we're driving to Florida and she's driving and I do a centering prayer sit during part of the car ride. You find rich that having bookends kind of gives some structure that allows your body to recognize that you're about to go in and therefore like better prepares you to sit in silence. Um, and then kind of, you know, the other bookend to kind of alert your body that you're, you know, you're about to be done with the practice and, and move on to your day. Do you find that the bookends kind of help in that way? Or what's the kind of purpose of the bookends? For me, they do. Well, the first bookend is, is because I feel like I want to partner with God on all my actions. So I, I like to read my actions to God, but think that God and I are partnering on these. And then I'm just like centering prayer. I'm letting go of even what I think I should be doing and just opening to God. And then I'm constantly kind of rereading through my affirmations and, and then deciding whether does this one still make sense? Is this still something I think God wants me to work on, or is there something that needs to be tweaked? So for me, it's it's just God. I think of it as God and I partnering on my affirmations, and then God and I getting up from the silent sit and working on some of these affirmations. So it's not, and I like to remind people, you know, 
you're not just saying hello to God, doing your sit and saying goodbye, God, and I'll see you again next time I come to sit. You know, God's getting up and walking with you and partnering with you on life or on and in life. And then I guess my second bookend, I think it's just a nice way to continue the relaxed state, read a little bit. And the book maybe have nothing to do with theology or God. It just could be an existing book I'm reading and then I get up. So I just find it's just a nice way to not just suddenly get up from my sit. It's, it's nice to do something else while my mind is slowed down and read and enjoy that for five or 10 minutes before I get up. That's how I think of the, yeah, the bookends. Or in fact, yeah, I, I, I use bookends as well. Oh, terrific, terrific. So, yeah. What are no, your, may I ask what your book, may I ask what your bookends look like? Yes, of course. So I, I tend to use the, the Centering Prayer app. I think Contemplative Outreach made it, um, but it's a Centering Prayer app for iPhones. And what I do is when I go into my sit before I open the app, I kind of go through seven breaths with the Jesus prayer. Um, okay. You know, so I'll, I'll breathe in Jesus Christ, Son of the living God. I'll breathe out, have mercy on me. And then, um, then I open up the app and the app has, you can set the time that you want to sit. You can set the chime that you want to use. You can set, there's like 50 or 60 prayers you can choose from. So I set it to a prayer that I can't, re I can't remember it off the top of my head, but it's a prayer that essentially says like, the Holy Spirit, let me op be open to your presence throughout the day. And then uh, I do my sit and then the chime goes off. And then the prayer of St. Francis, I chose the prayer of St. Francis for my, my final one, the, the peace prayer, make me an instrument of your peace. Um, and then that kind of, that launches me into the into the day that's that's what i do for my morning sit my afternoon sit doesn't have quite the bookends my afternoon sit is usually just pull up the app sit and and go into it but yeah that's that's that, that's my experience that's what i do no that's neat no i think it's important and everybody will find what works best for them and what what bookends work best for them for example when i first when i was I would practice a lot at night in, initially when I started and my son who was six was wondering what is dad doing in the basement so I told him to follow me and I actually taught him centering prayer at the time and we would do a one minute sit and we did a bookend and our bookend was as simple as we lit a candle and then using the same app you're referring to there was a, a line that said I open my heart to your love open my heart to God's love I believe we read that together did our one minute sit and then he blew out the candle as the, as the other bookend, and that was that. Those were our bookends for for our practice, but and it made it fun for him, and it made it you know appealing and interesting for him. Oh yeah, to tell us a little bit more about that experience of introducing a, a child to centering prayer. Yeah, it was funny because I guess my first sit was first thing in the morning, so everybody was sleeping because that sit that pre COVID I would. 5.30 in the morning. So nobody's practicing centering prayer with Rich at 5.30 in the morning at our house. They're, they're sleeping. So I'm doing my first sit at 5.30, but the second sit, I at first initially was doing it in the evening after dinner. So I think my son was six at the time. So this is back in 2014. He was six. And then my daughter um, was probably about 14 or so. They want to know what, what is dad doing in the basement? He keeps going in the basement for about a half an hour. So I you know, invited them both to come but they didn't both want to come together. They wanted to have their own time. 
So I would have to bring my son down and I showed him what I did and he was intrigued by it. And he's a very patient kid anyhow. In fact, actually, even to this day, he, you know, from age of six and even up until now, he'll always say, can you sit with me? And he wished for him is he just wants us to spend time with time with him. And it's, that's really what centering prayer is actually, is you're sitting, God's asking you the question, can you sit with me? So I taught him centering prayer and, and we still do it from time to time together. So it was because it's kind of like a natural thing within him that he just had. Can you sit with me? And it's the same thing God is asking us in centering prayer. My daughter, um, of course, wanted her own time with me. So we, we, I taught her the practice. And in his case, he, he closed his eyes. But um, in her case, she was afraid she'd fall asleep. So I told her to keep her eyes open and stare at a spot straight ahead. And we worked our way up to six or seven minutes with her. Where I, actually, I would sort of deceive her. I would tell her how long, and she would say five minutes, and then I would set the, the app to seven minutes and add two minutes to it, because I figured she's not going to know how long we're really going. So she did a couple 10-minute sits, too, without realizing it. And I later told her, and she laughed at it. But she was just curious. and she's, So we, we do centering prayer together from time to time. The three of us, ironically, the three of us haven't done it together, so I should maybe challenge them. Why don't all three of us do it together instead of making dad do it, you know, multiple times a day, we could do it together, but maybe I'll try that tonight. But that's kind of how that, that happened is they were just curious. What is dad doing in the basement? He seems to go there for 30 minutes, then come back up and, and make coffee and spend time, you know, with mom and, and the rest of us. So they were just curious. So I invited them to join me and, and see what I was doing. Wow. That's, <laughs> that's cool. And ironically, they, you know, they wanted to do it. My, my older son, Benjamin, who's 24, he doesn't live with us right now, but I, I, I taught him and he actually has tried centering prayer. He's done a couple, couple sits with me as well. Um, so he was curious about it and, and he's read my book. He has my book and, and is reading through it, which is kind of nice. So actually my daughter has read it as well. And then my youngest son, I don't think he's read it yet, but he has it sitting in his, in his room in the, book, on the, in the bookcase. Really neat. Um, so speak, speaking of kind of doing it together, do you find there to be a, a benefit to centering prayer in community to group sits? I know you said you've taught, uh, you've taught your church, um, you've led your church in centering prayer. Do you see a benefit to doing centering prayer corporately? Yeah, I would say it's very powerful. Um, even, even nowadays on Zoom, there's a lot of centering prayer going on on Zoom, and I've been getting in front of a lot of groups and talking and leading them into the silence, and we all look like the Brady Bunch on Zoom, you know, it could be six, nine, 12 of us, and you see, you know, the picture frames on Zoom, but it, ironically, or paradoxically, it's just feels very powerful. And, and I, it also makes me think, again, this is pre-COVID, I, I always wanted to experience um, the Quakers, the traditional Quaker service is silence. And there was a church near me and I wanted to experience it for myself. So I went to it a couple of years ago and it was an old house that was built in the early 1800s. And I kind of walked in and followed everybody else into the room. And it was kind of like a wooden benches on both sides that went up as if, you know, an auditorium that was elevated. So you would walk up the steps and sit in whatever row you wanted on the bench. And that was a really powerful experience because I just, I remember going in, finding my seat maybe in the middle 
the doors shut. And I kind of looked around and there was about, it was, it was amazing. There was at least a hundred people in there, including children. And then they, the doors closed and they just said, we're, we're beginning the service. And then it was dead silence and, and, and it remains dead silence. But I guess with their tradition, if someone wants to say something that they feel they, they want to share, they stand up and talk and then sit back down and then there's silence again. And that happened maybe two or three times during, during that silence sit, but it was just pure silence in a room and it was just kind of an amazing experience. And then they announced, you know, the silence has ended. And then they had announcements and they actually had prayer if anybody needed a prayer requests. And then they asked if there's any new newcomers and, and they welcomed them. And then they did their events after the service. And I just found it was just extremely, I don't know, it was just extremely powerful to be sitting in community with a hundred people in silence, including children. It was just a really neat, experience. So yes, I think silence individually is powerful, but silence in community with one person, six people, or, or in that case, a hundred people is just a powerful experience. And it's almost hard to put words to it other than it was, it was really neat. And I'll have to admit, I mean, I opened my eyes just to look around. I wanted to see what other people were doing and it was just and then I would shut them again. But it was, <laughs> Making it sure was, that everybody wasn't awake yeah. staring back at you. <laughs> People reading books or something like that. But no, it was, it was an, it was a neat experience. I didn't, I chose not to, I didn't have anything to say, but I, and I wasn't going, but it was just a neat ex experience. And the only thing you could hear was the wind blowing outside. It was raining or the creaking of the wooden benches or people just making coughing or breathing sounds, but it was just, a neat experience and need to think that these people did this you know, once a week together uh, in, in 100 people or so. I was amazed at the number of people <laughs> that were sitting in this room. And some of the Quaker services, some of the groups I think are small, like it could be five or 10 people. This one happened to be a really large Quaker group. I think that's, that's, that's a good, uh, it's also a good, good little segue here. When you were talking about just that experience. Um, so I think, one one important thing to talk about when we talk about centering prayer is that is that interior experience i think i can't remember if we talked about it kind of since we've hit record or in the the, the pre when we were talking before before the show started we were talking about how centering prayer can things things can bubble up um and sometimes the things that bubble up are joyous and sometimes they're uncomfortable and so Figure, could you uh, kind of go on a little bit about what a person can expect on the on this interior journey when practicing centering prayer? I mean, if you think about it, well, the first thing is our bodies hold tensions, and, and, and for each person, it's different. So it could be in your forehead or your back or your stomach or your legs, but our bodies are just, they hold tons of tension. So centering prayer or silent prayer is a safe place to sit and hopefully release some of this tension. But what can happen during centering prayer, and it's unique for each person, and it may or may not happen to you, um, you can start releasing repressed thoughts that you didn't even know you had. So you might start releasing a lot of anger or anxiety or sadness or loneliness you can start coming out and, and you don't possibly even know where it came from. Um, a lot of repressed thoughts 
going all the way back to childhood can start coming out. I mean, I've heard of some people saying, you know, they tremble during centering prayer, or some people say they just start crying or tearing and they have no idea why. Now, that hasn't happened to me, but I've heard of some people, and I've had some friends say that, that they just start tearing and they don't know why, or they just, or they're just terrified during centering prayer. Because some people have had maybe terrible traumatic experiences in their past. So they're thinking of God as a, as a mean father and perhaps they didn't have a very good relationship with their father. So centering prayer becomes extremely frightening for them and it's hard for them to sit because they're fearful. Is God not happy with me? Does God not love me? So all kinds of things, I guess, can happen during centering prayer to each person any of these things can happen or none of these things can happen. But it, I mean, I like to think of it as a nice, it's a safe place to sit and let this stuff kind of naturally happen. Thomas Keating refers to it, and I, and I do agree, as, as divine therapy, where you're, it's a safe place to sit and let go and, and get all of this junk, I'll call it, out of you. Uh, I think he calls it un unloading. I think he calls it where things start unloading that you were holding in your body. And over time, it can just be true freedom. A long-term practice like this could really become true freedom because you start releasing all of these things that you've been holding in, in your body and in your minds and in your thoughts that it's not healthy and it's not helping you. And, and it can be true freedom to get rid of all of this garbage. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially in the the those those earlier uncomfortable sits, they can be disorienting. But I'm sure, as as you would say, Rich, and I think as you say in your book, the important thing is is that you just you show up, and you do it, and um, over time, you. I mean, there's no guarantee of what benefits you reap, but over time, you you often reap the benefits, which. You know, speaking of the the potential, uh, not just the so we have this divine therapy aspect, but you know what what fruits of centering prayer have have you seen in yourself over several years of doing this practice and from helping others get into centering prayer? You know, what are some of the fruits that that you've experienced that others have told you about and then how do you see centering prayer as especially beneficial during the, the times that we live in today between global pandemic, kind of political, social upheaval, all of that? So what, what, you know, what fruits have, have you noticed or, or heard? And then how do you see it as being beneficial, especially for today? I guess the first thing I'll say is we, we, we sit in centering prayer simply because we love God and we want to have a relationship with God. So we really don't come with any expectations, but then God seems to have his own um, plan and seems to surprise you or surprise each practitioner with what God knows you need. So I, I guess I don't go into centering prayer for anything other than I just want to sit with God and let God transform me how God wants me to be transformed. Now, when I look at my own life and what, how has it changed me and what are the fruits of centering prayer? You know, since centering prayer, I'm definitely, I've 
more of an excitement for life than I had prior to centering prayer. I have a lot more confidence. I have nudges to, to do new things and try new things that are outside of my comfort zone. It seems to give me wisdom for daily tasks. Even, you know, I'm working and then I do my centering prayer, sit in the afternoon, and then I come back to my work desk and I seem to be able to figure out how to do a task that I didn't know how I was going to do before that. So, it's, so it gives, seems to give me wisdom for tasks. And then it just has given me more of an inner peace and calmness and ability to slow myself down and realize that I'm not my thoughts and the things I tell myself aren't true and that I can do this and I can handle this or I should try this just because I'm scared doesn't mean it's not something I should try. So centering prayer is really, I guess, just blessed me with, with a lot of fruits. It's really helped me I, I think of it as becoming my true self or continuously becoming my true self, the person God wants me to be. Because I think of, you know, what's really happening in center and prayer is you're removing barriers to who you are not and letting grace flow and getting up from your sit and doing the actions that God wants you to do and becoming the person God wants you to be, even if it's even for just that day. So those are some of my fruits and from some of the people I've coached, um, some of their fruits that I definitely have heard are, it's opened them up. It's, some of them have been de deconstructing their faith and, and old ways of thinking about God and, and old ways of what their church may have told them, being more willing to realize, you know what, it's okay that I don't believe that anymore. And it's opened me up to a bigger world. So it's in, and it's helped them process that, you know what, it's okay that I don't believe that piece anymore. And it's okay that uh, I don't have to feel bad about myself for that. So it's, it's opened them up to look at things differently and process things that have been difficult for them. So it helps them process life <laughs> and not be so scared of it and know that this is a journey with no end point. So those are some of the things I've heard from people. It's, it's helped, it helps them become their true self and, uh, and continuously open to their true self and realize that it's okay that I'm that I'm, that I don't feel that way and think that way about God. It's and and it's broadened their perspective of God and who God is. Instead of putting God in the box, they're taking God out of the box and letting God be God. Now, in terms of I guess COVID or or just the pandemic, and I mean I think everybody could use a dose of silence these these days. I'll I'll call it. Um, it's been uh, difficult for everybody, I think, including myself. So I think we all need to sit and slow ourselves down and calm ourselves down. It, it helps us with what actions can I take? What can I let go of that's not serving me well, which could be fear and anxiety. And then what actions can I take today despite the, you know, the pandemic, despite COVID, despite how it's limited my life and changed my life. So it helps you let go of what you can't control and focus on what you can control. Yeah, that's, that's good. Especially in these times with, I know that I, I have noticed when I'm not sitting regularly, if I lapse a little bit, when I open up my phone to go onto social media, I have a much different internal reaction to social media when 
I am sitting like when, when I've, I've been practicing versus like maybe if I've lapsed for a few days. And I think that's just a, a signal to our, our general culture is I do, I really like the letting go of what you need to, letting go of what you can't control because there's, there's so much around us that we can't control, but we know that God is within us and, you know, within, you know, God is uh, all around us in, in the world and we can only rely on God to show us what we can do around us. So I think that's, that's good. The, and can I, I briefly interject something? <clears throat> so, you know, as we've been talking, I've been thinking, so I, I have ADHD and I have a hard time um, sitting in place. I've been trying to practice centering prayer for a few months, but I know for a lot of people, especially younger people, I'm a youth minister. And I think for a lot of younger people, um, it's hard to sit for any period of time in silence doing nothing, uh, let alone it's hard to be patient to, to see the benefits from it. And centering prayer is one of those things like, like anything worthwhile, you know, whether it's, you know, uh, running or going to the gym or um, whatever it may be, or eating healthy, all those things take time of practicing those things over and over and over again, day after day, in order to see the results to see the fruits. But we live in such a instantaneous culture. I put my food in the microwave and I expect it to be warm in a minute, you know, um, so could you maybe speak briefly to uh, the reason and the need that this isn't something that, you know, you do one time and, you know, you see the benefits of, you know, right away, but it's something you got, it's a lifetime practice. You got to do it over and over again. And um, could you talk about that a little bit? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think of it, I think of center in prayer really as a, it's a long-term marathon with God. I mean, God is a very patient God. If you think, even just think about God and the earth was created or, or not the earth, even go back to the universe was created some 13.9 billion years ago. And then God waited to create the earth 4 billion or uh, was four or four and a half billion years ago. So that's billions of years have passed between the universe being created and the earth being created. And then you have um, Jesus, the, the human incarnation of God, or that's how I believe it, um, two thousand, you know, just over 2000 years ago. So that's a really patient God. So I think of it that, you know, centering prayer is a long-term marathon with God. And that if you just show up and trust the process. Don't judge your sits. Just show up. Um, don't beat your. And if you miss a sit, don't beat yourself up. Just show up for your next sit. Um, God loves you, and God is delighted whenever you come to sit. But just show up and let it slowly transform you. And I and I think it will. And I think you'll notice it. You'll notice it, and I definitely have noticed it. And I think other people around you will notice differences with you as you practice long-term. And even some people, he can, I mean, I never met Thomas Keating, but some people said he just kind of radiated and there was just something about being in his presence. The only thing I can equate that to is a couple of years back, I was at what was called a welcoming prayer day session that I went to and I sat next to a nun and this nun 
I felt like I was sitting next to God. Now I know I wasn't sitting next to God, but she glowed and she radiated. There was something about her. So I sensed it. And she probably practiced silence for year after year after year. And there was just something that I could feel just sitting in her presence. And it was so nice. I didn't even, I didn't, I enjoyed it. It sounds crazy, but, it, and I never had this experience before. So yes, it definitely transforms you over time. And then the other thing I'll say, you mentioned attention deficit disorder, and I've, and I've had people ask me about that. You can practice centering prayer walking. I mean, as long as you, I would, you know, don't close your eyes and don't, and, but you can actually use, do the method walking. I've challenged people that if it's really that difficult to sit, walk. You can practice centering prayer while you're walking, or you can do prayer labyrinths. So for those people that really just can't do it, you can still practice a contemplative practice such as a prayer labyrinth or even centering prayer while walking and really go to the same place that the people that are sitting go to. Does, does that help? Oh yeah, that, that's really great. Thank you for sharing that, Rich. Sure. All right, so what I wanted to do next um, is spend a little bit of more time talking specifically about your book, Rich. Um, so one thing that I noticed in reading it is it's very accessible. Um, so I was curious about, you know, who kind of who your audience is. And, you know, I know this is a book about your journey. You know, who did you have in mind uh, when you were when you were writing your book? Really just the the everyday person. I mean, I, I work for a, uh, I have to say a large financial corporation. So I'm just an everyday person who gets up and does his, his job. So I, I, so that's really what I had in mind. I wanted it to be, you know, how, how do you do center in prayer? I certainly wanted that to be in the book and I certainly wanted some theology to be in the book, but I also wanted to then to share my journey and talk about, you know, how I found it, how I found center in prayer and how I practice and really how it's changed me and, and what fruits have happened as a result of it and how it continuously helps me, you know, become my true self, the person that God wants me to become. So really, I just wanted it to be for the everyday person because there, there are a lot of centering prayer books out there, but some of them become more theological and some of them become more academic. Like Cynthia Bourgeau is, is fantastic. And then at times she can be really academic and you might not understand her. Um, so I wanted it to be a little bit different and be more accessible and more for the everyday person and share my own experiences and how it's changed me and how it's transformed me. So I, I think I accomplished that. And I've actually looked at a couple of the reviews on Amazon and a few of them kind of said exactly that. So I just wanted to be centering prayer for, for everyday people. And not, not, these, not that these aren't everyday people, but just centering prayer to be made very accessible for for monks that are not living in monasteries, but monks living in the world. <laughs> yeah, I, I appreciate that. And then, and I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll second or third or fourth or hundredth, you know, however many reviews you got about that. It was, your book was, you, you made your book very accessible for the everyday person. And you, you even tackled some concepts and ideas and themes kind of in the second half of the book that that can be tricky and you you still even made that material accessible 
Um, so not only did you kind of make centering prayer accessible, but even kind of those later themes that you included, I, I, I took note of some like uh, the dimensions in prayer, God in Christ, God in us, talking about the self, the true self and the false self. You went into a little bit of like historical Jesus studies, even um, kind of at a basic level, non-dual thinking, um, the the Jesus paradox, um, as you call it, and even the cosmic Christ. So, I I was impressed at how you you took even these topics um, and made them accessible in fairly short snippets. So, just wanted to let you know that. No, I appreciate that. That's exactly what I wanted to do. And, and the neat thing about the book is, I guess I love interacting with people. So I, have, I, I do, I put a lot of stuff on my personal page, Facebook page, and I just get a lot, I, I love interaction. But since the book has been out, it's been amazing. The people that have reached out to me, I'm getting almost every day an email or a Facebook message about I'm reading the book or this, this is what I liked about the book. I even, and it's all over the world, which is neat because the book itself is actually half my sales are international versus domestic. So the book um, has sold in, um, believe it or not, I, I had it, the publisher was was in October. They reached out to me and said we sold 108 books in Japan, and and they didn't. I said who what, and they didn't didn't know other than they said one one night 108 books sold in Japan, which I thought was pretty cool. But it's so it's sold in Japan. It's 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 been sold in Australia, in the EU, in the UK, um, in Brazil. It even sold in Brazil. So I just thought it was really neat to see where it's where it's selling. And then I even had a I had a monk in it, and if he he wanted to speak with me, he was a monk who lived in, in the Netherlands. He had found my book on Germany Amazon started reading it and really enjoyed it. Reached out to me on Facebook Messenger and wanted to have a Zoom call. So about two months ago, I had a Zoom call with, with a monk in a monastery in the Netherlands, and he was in his 20s, and just a really neat talk about his experience of centering prayer and how he found it, and we just talked about that. And he stumbled into it. He, there was a book, it was, I think it was a Thomas Keating book, sitting on the pews in the monastery, and he started reading it, and then he reached out to the Contemplative Outreach just to learn more, and he began practicing it a couple years ago. And then he stumbled across my book and just wanted to talk to me because he found it very accessible and easy to read. So, um, it's, so it's been a neat experience of just the different, where the book has sold the people and, and the different types of people that have reached out to me from all over the world. It's just been a neat experience. And I, and I make that known on my Facebook page. If you reach out to me, I'm gonna reach back out to you. I love interaction. So if you send me something, you're going to hear from me. And if we land on a Zoom call, that's perfectly fine. So it's been a neat, neat experience. And, and I can't wait to continue to see what else it continues to hold because the book you know, is new. It just came out in August. Yeah. Wow. What, what, a, what a world we live in where <laughs> you, can, you can write this book. It uh, ends up getting you know, picked up by someone halfway around the world they send you a message on facebook and next thing you know you're having a zoom call with a monk from the netherlands that is right just fantastic so speaking of that um you know as we kind of wrap things up what uh you know we're, we're talking about being connected so much and and how you like interacting with people 
where, so one, where can people find your book, uh, find more information about you and get in touch with you if they want to sure. have a Zoom call with you from around the world? <laughs> that, the best place really is just my site. So, so I think it's easy to remember. Silenceteaches.com is the best place to find me. And if they subscribe to my site, they'll get a free um, short Centering Prayer ebook. And then, of course, on the site is other information about Centering Prayer, about receiving my weekly meditations, about coaching for those that are interested in that. And, of course, my book is, is on, there's an About the Book section um, there. So the best place is just go to silenceteaches.com, and they'll find me, my book, my free ebook, and Centering Prayer information. Awesome. Yeah, well, I, I really appreciate you, you coming on, Rich. It's been... It's been a great conversation. Is there anything else that uh, that you've thought of while we've been talking that, that you want to add? I would just encourage people to try it. I think now more than ever in, in this in the world we're living <laughs> with COVID and the political environment, uh, I would simply encourage people to try a silent practice. So even if it's not centering prayer, to try some type of contemplative practice that will slow you down and teach you who you are because any silence practice will help you get rid of the thoughts and emotions that aren't you and, and open up to the, the true you your true self the god person god wants you to be so i would just challenge people to try a daily dose of silence and just keep at it every day and then even add a second dose of, of silence at some point later in the day and see how it transforms you and changes you and it's not the silence that's doing the transformation. It, it's God that's doing it. But come to the silence wherever you are, even if you don't believe in God, just come and open to the silence and take a daily dose of silence and see how it can change and transform you. Well, I've really enjoyed this conversation. I, I know I've let Adam do most of the conversation or most of the questions, but I think it would be really awesome. I know that oftentimes we can listen to a podcast or read a book and we take that head information. We don't really actually um, enact it into a practice. So I think it'd be really awesome if you wouldn't mind, if we just, if you let us through a two or three minute um, time of centering prayer and then I can, you know, wrap us up and we can be done. Okay. So I'll just, I guess I'll just uh, ask people to sit comfortably. Think of a, an interior word that you can use or if it's an image, an image you can use as your sacred word to bring yourself back to the present. And then whenever you engage a thought or emotion and see where this will take you, let go of it and just remember you're sitting in silence just to open to the presence and actions of a God within who really loves you and is delighted that you're taking the time to sit. So I'll, I'll invite everybody just to try this practice for even one or two minutes now.
Well, Rich, uh, this has been a wonderful time. Thanks again for uh, <laughs> humoring us and uh, coming on the podcast. Um, check out Rich's book. Uh, you can find it on Amazon and also on his website, silenceteaches.com. Uh, thanks again, Rich. Uh, we really appreciate it. So this has been another episode of the Misfits Theology Podcast. We'll see you next time.